Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas from Recovery Insider. I'm your host, Tim Myers, doing my best George Bailey impression, which I am really good at, just so you know. As always, Recovery Insider is being brought to you by Lighthouse Recovery Institute. Give them a call at 1-844-I-CAN-CHANGE. That's 1-844-I-CAN-CHANGE. If you or someone you love needs help with addiction, check them out online at lighthouserecoveryinstitute.com. Check us out on iTunes. Download our podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. Please, 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 if you like this, share it on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Get the world out. And today's podcast on Recovery Insider is called It's a Wonderful Life. The story of your host, Tim Myers. Now, I've told my story before, but, you know, I just celebrated six years in recovery, six years consecutive, and it's the holiday season. I truly do have It's a Wonderful Life, and It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite movie of all time. So, I thought I would let y'all know uh, how I did it, and how I turned... Um, 10 plus years of constant drug use and, and alcohol consumption into a wonderful life that resembles that from the movie It's a Wonderful Life, that of George Bailey. Um, it has been incredible. And December 6th, Six years ago, I'm bad at math. You figure it out. I think it's like 2010, December 6, 2010. I had a, a, I think it was a Coors Light, which was the first beer that I ever drank. I stole one from my dad's um, little beer uh, refrigerator. And uh, six, you know, many, many years later, uh, that was the last beer I drank. It was um, just three of them because that's all I had left. And I was going to rehab the next day as soon as I was done with work. So I drank those three beers. I took eight Tylenol PMs and I went to sleep. And that was the last drink I ever had. Uh, I had guns to my head in crack houses. I had been left on the side of the road for dead. I'd been hit by a train. I'd been hit by a truck. I'd been hit by a bus. And... I didn't know if all that was going to end, but I knew that I was going to give recovery a shot one more time. So I did, um, and I didn't do anything spectacular. I went into that treatment center, I made my bed, and I woke up the next day, and I went to a meeting, and I sat in the back of it, and I played Angry Birds. And... I played Angry Birds, I didn't talk to anyone, I left on my bike, I went and got a Little Caesars $5 pizza, I went to Target and stole some DVDs and a DVD player, and then I went back to my rehab, and I ate my pizza, and I watched movies, and I woke up again and I did it the next day. 
I'd go to the meetings and eventually someone came up to me. His name was Brian Gong, the gongster. He saw me leaning up against a brick wall and he said, hey, I'm taking guys through the steps. Do you need help? I had staples in my forehead from a car accident that killed me that I came back to life from. And I had dried blood on my head. I had stitches. I couldn't move that easily because my whole entire body was sore and it was pretty miserable. So I just said yes to Brian and I started working the steps and I eventually, after a few weeks, uh, switched sponsors because my therapist thought it was a conflict of interest for my sponsor to also be sponsoring my best friend Brian. So I was like, whatever. And now, looking back on it, I don't really think therapists should get involved in sponsorship relationships. That is a spiritual experience between two people. And I don't think therapists and their degrees have the whatever to get involved. It was the right decision, I will say. But yo, back off, my brothers. So, Anyway, I got a new sponsor, and he said, call me every day for seven days, and I called him every day for seven days. I did not call him every day for seven days because I wanted to stay sober. I called him every day for seven days because nobody would be my friend. My parents weren't talking to me anymore. I had no one who cared about me or had any hope left that I was going to be able to figure this out. So I called my sponsor every day, and uh, we barely talked didn't talk to me very much. He's just like, okay, yeah, did you go to a meeting? Okay, why didn't you go to a meeting? Oh, well, I have some bullcrap excuse. Here it is now. And he'd hang up the phone. So, but I did call every day for seven days. And then my sponsor made me write my story. So I typed out my story. I thought I did a really good job. Um, I laid out all the facts and all, you know, wrote it really dramatically. Didn't, you know, exaggerate any details, but I thought I'm, I was writing the first chapter of my book, you know, which one day I'm going to do. I think that I'd make a lot of money, but I haven't done it yet. So I wrote my story. He read my story and he was very touched and he wanted to help. And so we started on the first step, uh, admitting I was powerless over alcohol. My life had become unmanageable. I knew that I was powerless over alcohol from the day I took my first drink at 16, the Canadian whiskey and the gorgeous plastic bottle burnt my throat, burnt my mouth. I hated it. It made me feel sick. My mom came downstairs, asked what I was doing. So I grabbed some dial soap, put dial soap in my mouth to cover up the taste and the smell of the alcohol. And then I kept drinking. So I knew, I've always known that I had, I was powerless over alcohol. And we went on to the second and third step, and I don't I didn't believe in God at all. Um, I think if you don't believe in God, Brian, that it's egotistical. And how could our brains be able to comprehend something so big? So by just dismissing it, it seems like ego. Um, my sponsor told me that, so I believed that he believed and that it worked for him because he was a cool dude, you know, long, beautiful hair, tattoos, you know, sexy little mofo, and that's what I wanted, you know, all the girls knew him, it's because he kind of like banged a lot of them, but I wanted to bang a lot of them at the time, so... I kept working the steps. And that's the truth, man. It doesn't matter how you get there. If you want to be sober so you can bang the ladies, get sober. 
what's going to happen is you're going to find out that using terms like banging the ladies isn't very spiritual or appropriate, and that a life based simply on banging the ladies isn't necessarily a good one. So you should probably just keep working the steps, and then maybe one day you'll be a podcast host like me and have a spiritual, wonderful life. Anyway, moving right along past the banging of the ladies... Um, I did do my third step with my sponsor. We got down on our knees and we said the third step prayer together. And when we got up, he patted me on my back and he said, you don't ever have to be alone anymore. And, you know, the tears came out of my eyes like the, the way it was snowing at the end of the movie. It's a wonderful life. And I remember feeling like George Bailey in the movie at Martini's bar with his head in his hands just feeling so lost and so alone and feeling like he had said I didn't have to be alone anymore and I really believed him I really really did so I was just crying and I decided to follow what he he told me to do I had my I did my fourth step thoroughly I didn't leave anything out even the horrible things that I did to my teddy bear I put on there all the bad situations I'd got myself in the horrible things I just wanted to forget but couldn't stop remembering I put down we did a fifth step it took four hours I got it all out and he said welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous and I started crying again I had character defect note cards that I carried around with me for about a month um, with things like selfish on them, so I had to be selfless for that day. Um, Judgmental, so I had to not judge people all day. So every day I walked around with this horrible word in my pocket and I couldn't be that thing all day. And I took it seriously. It was like a game to me. And if I slipped up, I'd put it in my pocket and go again the next day. It made me a better person pretty quickly. Now, as these steps are going on, my life is starting to get good. Things are starting to happen that didn't seem possible. I I got a raise at work, and friends were coming into my life, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I wasn't trying to get friends. I wasn't trying to get a raise. I wasn't trying to bring my family back. I was just doing the next step, and everything else seemed to come around exactly the way I always wanted it to you know I did a, I did my amends um, ninth step amends with my family and my sister Molly at age 13 told me to keep trying harder my parents said give me our money my brother said let's just stop talking and play Xbox and um, my sister Megan said I've always just wanted you to be my friend will you be my friend and she's one of the sweetest friends I have to this day I finished my steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It took me about nine months. It took me nine years to finish college, and I've never done anything in my life that I better than I have done the 12 steps. I did it thoroughly, honestly, and I kicked butt. But I wasn't done. I needed to sponsor other people, which, you know, I was excited to do. But I remember the first time someone called me every day for seven days, I was like, shit, crap, shit, crap, ass. Crap, ass, shit. I have to, crap. What the hell am I going to do? I have no idea. I have to sit down and sponsor this guy. I don't know what I'm going to do. But that's why my sponsor was there. And I, I called him and uh, he told me what to do. And I did it. 
And I kept sponsoring people and every time there'd be a breakup or a hard situation to get through or I felt like going back out, I was going to strip clubs by myself and drinking Red Bull and I swear I was one strip club away, one strip club away from going back out. But a sponsee called and I meet up with him and it worked when everything else seemed not to. And then, you know, after about three years in recovery, um, at a meeting I was, I was at, um, there was this girl, she's beautiful. She was sitting underneath the chalkboard. I followed her out to the bike rack and started talking to her and she just said, hi, I'm Jen and put in her headphones and rode the bike away. So about a month later, walked her out to the bike rack. She said, hi, put in her headphones and rode the bike away. And then a month later, she put in her headphones, said hi, and rode the bike away. So finally, I had enough. She was at the meeting that I was running, sitting underneath the chalkboard. And when the speaker was up there, I put into my cell phone, Hey, Tim, my name is Jen. I would absolutely love to go miniature golfing with you on Friday. It will be a hot date. Here's my phone number so you can get a hold of me. And I handed her my phone. She put in her phone number and... A year and a half later, we got married. At the same summer camp in upstate New York where I used to do drugs and drink, I repaired those relationships, and now it was a beautiful place to be and the perfect place to get married. We got married, and she is in recovery, and she works this program as hard as I do. Let's be honest here. She works this program harder than I do. And... You know, we decided it was time to move out of Florida. And I'd always wanted to move back to Minnesota because the truth is, I love the Minnesota Wild Hockey Team more than anything on this planet. Well, except for my wife. But still, I wanted to move here. I wanted to have a sponsor that resembled that original sponsor that I have. And we moved out here. We didn't have any jobs. We didn't have you know, a place to live. We rented a small apartment for our two cats and our dog, and we moved out here, and I started going to 90 meetings in 90 days, and so did she. And I found that sponsor who would again change my life and bring me to the next spiritual level of my program. I also became a Minnesota Wild season ticket holder, and I got a fantastic job, and the owner of our company has 30 years sober. We then bought a house that, you know, really does resemble the house that George and his wife, Mary, Mary! I think that impression is really good. Um, we have a house that resembles their house, and my wife is pregnant with our son. <laughs> That's not even true. I don't know why I said that. My wife's pregnant with our daughter. Mary, you're having... You having a baby, Mary? George Bailey Lasso Stork. Oh my God, we're having a baby. So, it really is a wonderful life. None of this is possible without AA. Without the treatment centers that I went to. Without the people who helped me stay sober. I have everything that I've always wanted. I want for nothing. There is zero things on my Christmas list. This is not a unique story. 
It's not. There is nothing unique about it. This happens all the time. This happens to all my friends. This happens to everyone that I know in recovery who works this program as hard as they could. So I know you've heard my story before. I wanted to break it down to you in a Cliff Notes version tonight because everyone who listens to this podcast, who sends us comments and emails, and I couldn't be here without you. And I would not have this life if it wasn't for all of my friends in recovery who made this possible. Six years, this beautiful, wonderful life, I owe it all to you. So, that is it for Season 2 of Recovery Insider. The best damn kept secret on the internet. We're coming back to you uh, the first of the year with Season 3 of Recovery Insider. Please share this. Please let your family and your loved ones know. And if you need help with addiction, if you or a loved one needs treatment, please reach out to my friends at Lighthouse Recovery Institute. LighthouseRecoveryInstitute.com. Call them at 1-844-I-CAN-CHANGE. You can change. We can change. I changed and you can too. It truly is a wonderful life. And for Recovery Insider, Merry Christmas! Stay sober, my friends. George, the richest man in town. That's a Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. Atta boy, Clarence.